You know how it's often said that teachers are the best of us. Teachers have the greatest and the most important occupation. Maybe that's something worth considering when we talk about Chase Claypool and his maturity or lack thereof. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes to you every weekday morning. If you're into hockey and or baseball, I also offer up daily shots of Penguins and Pirates right where you found this. Mike Tomlin had to address a lot of different non-football-ish types of topics at his press conference yesterday, and none of them was going to be more intriguing than how he'd handle Chase Claypool. And it's fascinating to me to see, and this goes across sports, the way coaches and managers and general managers react in the heat of the moment like we all do. And then after a day or two, or in a case like this where the Steelers played last Thursday in Minneapolis, a handful of days, and how level-headed they can become after really considering all of the variables, at least the good ones, do that. I want you to listen to what Tomlin had to say in its entirety yesterday about Claypool and about how they're working with him, how they're approaching his growth. Uh, He had a misstep in that area. He had missteps in other areas. He's a young guy that's growing uh, and developing in a lot of ways. Um, It can't happen fast enough for him and it can't happen fast enough for us. Um, We're going to continue to push that growth and development as long as he's a willing participant. Uh, He has been. And so we're just going to keep moving forward. Uh, That can be said about a lot of guys. You know, these guys don't come to you as finished products. Um, That's another component of coaching that I embrace and we collectively embrace. Uh, It's the reason why that we make what we make. And there's so many of us because these guys are less than finished products in most instances we get and when we get them. And so there's a growth and development that has to take place. You guys are witnessing growth and development in Deontay Johnson, not only in quality of play and skills relative to his position, but in in maturity. Uh, He's a year older than Chase. And so um, we're seeing um, the pains of growth and development sometimes when young people have to participate. We see inconsistencies in Presley Harvin's performance. Um, You know, we've we've had less than ideal plays um, from Pat. Um, but we, we know that, that we're pouring into something uh, in all of those guys. And although there's some short-term negativity associated with the pain and discomfort of, uh, that they go through in terms of growing and learning and oftentimes is negative, um, we know the benefit individually and collectively. That, my friends, is good stuff. And that runs almost directly counter to the way Tomlin was visibly and audibly seething in front of us right there in Minneapolis in that press room. I was there, first row. I I could feel it. When Tomlin said, we'll see, as to whether or not Claypool will have learned any lessons from the game 
or his benching or the celebration thing or whatever else. You heard Tomlin say this is part of the job that we embrace as coaches. He wasn't speaking just of his own staff. You could tell the way he was phrasing that. That they have to be teachers to an extent. And then he goes and he drops names, which to me was the most striking part of that whole thing. He could have continued on in generalities. He didn't. He brought up Deontay Johnson. Remember a year ago when we were all, myself included, and don't pretend that you weren't one of them, burying Deontay over all those drops. Something's wrong with him. He uh, was an overdraft from Toledo, little school. Uh, maybe he's, you know, kind of stupid or something, or he, he's hearing footsteps. What did Deontay end up doing? Deontay has gone through this entire season to date with two drops, and one of them was that bomb a couple of weeks ago that I still have a hard time classifying that as a drop, but I can see where it would be. It's still just two. He's become a better receiver, a more mature individual, and a bigger contributor. Why? They, they stuck by him. He mentioned Pat Fryermuth with a couple of, you could hear the hesitation in his voice, less than ideal plays. He's not going to bury Fryermuth over the late fumble against the Lions. And then, of course, the way the Minneapolis game ended. But it's part of growing up. He was going to have to take his lumps in the NFL because almost everybody does. It's how he responds to it that matters. Bringing those guys up, I thought, was really noteworthy, almost as much, by the way, as his not bringing up Najee Harris, who's one of those people that looks like he'll never have to go through that phase, right? This portion of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by Point Park University. Choose from nearly 100 career-focused programs leading to bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees. Choose when and how you'd prefer to do that studying, whether it's at Point Park's gorgeous downtown Pittsburgh campus, whether it's online, maybe a flexible hybrid format would work best for you. Find out more about all of this at pointpark.edu. But the question that ends up meaning the most out of everything, and you heard Tomlin just in passing reference it, is as long as the player remains receptive, to which he quickly added regarding Claypool, and he has. That matters more than anything. That matters. I am here to tell you as the person who asked Claypool that question in Minneapolis that got everybody talking regarding his response, that matters way, way, way more, infinitely more than anything he says to me in a press room or to anybody else outside of South Water Street. What he's telling Tomlin or his positional coaches behind closed doors, whatever he's showing them with his mannerisms, maybe he gets emotional. Now, I'm just obviously just throwing out hypotheticals here. Maybe he breaks down. Maybe he shows them something that he doesn't show us. Maybe there's 
Oh, how do I put this? Maybe there's a way for Tomlin to tell that this kid knows he screwed up. And we know that he knows that he screwed up. And as a result of that, we feel like there's there's room to work here. We, the Steelers, don't care what he told you, meaning me, or the fans, or anybody else. We are dealing with this individual ourselves. We happen to believe in him. Maybe there's some of that that applies to Claypool. Maybe all of it does. Maybe there's some of it that applies to Devin Bush. And maybe he sounds a heck of a lot more contrite when he's talking with Keith Butler or Jerry Olsavsky or Tomlin himself than he does when he's talking with us. And he has to feel like he's got to be defensive or he's still got to look cool or he's still got to whatever. That stuff, it's fair game for criticism. And I have no problem whatsoever criticizing it. But I also try to understand and appreciate that whatever's happening behind closed doors might be completely different. And while I have zero, absolute zero respect for what Claypool did with the first down point in that situation, or whatever it is that might have convinced him that that'd be okay, if you want to call that a team culture thing or whatever, I do have a corresponding amount of respect for the way that it sounds like this is getting handled. But to re-quote Tomlin from Minneapolis, we'll see. When we come back, just one question. It's time for just one question, and today's J1Q comes from Ken Wakefield, who asks, DK, with James Conner having so much success in Arizona and looking like a totally different player, did the Steelers misuse him here, or was it just a matter of him being injury-prone? Ken, this answer that I'm about to give might not be all that popular uh, with you or with with a, a lot of people that seem to be glowing a lot about what James is doing with the Cardinals. The number one thing that has to be understood about the separation between this Connor and the one who was playing in Pittsburgh is the one who was playing in Pittsburgh couldn't stay on the field. Okay? This one has. That's to his credit. Whether or not he's just gotten lucky... I can't say. That's mostly what athletes will tell you, by the way, that injuries can be attributed to. Connor currently has 179 carries. And I'm emphasizing carries here because that's, you know, touches. It affects durability. That's the eighth most in the NFL. He has stayed on the field. That's it. That's it. If you look at the remainder of James's stats, they're 
pretty ordinary. 661 yards is 18th best in the league. His average per carry is 3.7 yards. That's 41st in the league. So why do we feel as if James is having some sort of breakout in Glendale? Well, the answer to that is touchdowns. Touchdowns make highlights. When you watch, um, what do they call that on on ESP? The uh, fastest three minutes in sports. And they come on, they show you all those highlights. They don't have time to show you anything other than touchdowns, right? So you see James. Every Sunday night, you're seeing James. And here he was on Monday night football in the loss that the Cardinals had to the Rams, popping two more touchdowns. And everyone's like, whoa, James, James has made it. Look at him. He's got all these touchdowns. Well, in the same game that James had those two touchdowns, he also had 13 carries for 31 yards for a 2.4 average. Um, that's not good. He had half as many rushing yards as Kyler Murray did. So the idea that there's some renaissance or whatever that's occurring here is not really accurate unless you're just talking about his injuries. If you want to discuss whether or not the Steelers should have hung on to Connor, and even though you don't bring this up, I will, bypass Najee Harris in favor of an offensive lineman, you're you're putting a lot of cracked, not broken, but cracked eggs into the same basket and just hoping. Because that sure didn't look like an answer last season when James couldn't move behind Marquise Pouncey and David DeCastro, Alejandro Villanueva. Imagine what he'd do with this group. Najee Harris leads the NFL in broken tackles and yards after the initial contact, and he leads in both categories by a mile. Why? Because those dudes in front of him can't block, and if he doesn't get those yards, then he's got nothing but minus ones on his ledger. That is to his considerable credit that he's achieved the numbers that he has and being one of the NFL's top 10 rushers. So could the Steelers have kept James in some backup role or goal line role? I mean, I, I guess so, but, you know, they would have had to pay him too. So I, I, don't, I don't look at James and what he's done out there and say, oh, no, there's all kinds of regret here. I'm just happy for him. I'm happy he's staying on the field. I'm happy he's getting these touchdowns. I'm happy he's got a chance, apparently, with a you know, a 10-3 and three football team to uh, be in the playoffs and, and, and maybe win something. That would be a really, really cool thing to watch from afar if it unfolds like that. But uh, regret? No, not, none whatsoever. Najee Harris is the future of the position in Pittsburgh in addition to kind of being the present. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. Let's do another one tomorrow.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.